Once upon a time, there were three writers. They stole a prompt uttered in real life and ran with it. Bella, hit the theme tune, except, again, apparently I'm a bad luck omen because every time I come on the show, uh, Bella isn't here. So, uh, What have you done to her, Alex? I don't know. Uh, maybe she just doesn't like me very much. <laughs> just got a it's just like, oh, what, Alex is the guest this week. Oh, no, I'm going to pull a sticky. <laughs> Bella is genuinely ill. We she hope is, she gets well she soon. Yeah, well soon, Bella. Yeah. So, Alex, I recognise you on this show. You've been on it before, haven't you? I have been on this show before, yes. But do you want to remind us what sort of writing you do? Um, yes and no, because uh, there's a question about that later on in the show, I believe. Ooh. So why, why don't we save it until then and we'll find out. We're being sneaky, okay. Yeah, we're going to continue with the Q&As at the end of the show, so that's going to be fun. But let's flip back over to the beginning of the show, and our prompt this week is... No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to be eaten by these amusingly hungry hippos. How do you guys find the prompt? it's, It's interesting. I originally... The first thing that came to mind was... I think there was an old, like college humor video it was it was something along those lines um you you know like the old saw movies where it's like i want to play a game and it was like (laughs) uh, the the whole point of the video was like i want to play a game how about monopoly and the the, the, the climax of the joke was wait one more game hungry hungry hippos and it was just something about the way that he pronounced that i was like okay there's there's potential here because i've seen it done before that's very similar to where this quote actually came from. Oh, is it? Lovely. Where did it come from? This, um, You were in the room at the time this was said, Izzy, but you were on the other side of the room, so you didn't hear. Um, <laughs> I was talking with a load of friends, and we were talking about James Bond movies and how he's always left in like some ridiculous trap by the villain that's got like crocodiles and lasers, and he always escapes. And someone said how funny it would be if instead of leaving a trap, they just um, played a board game instead. And then someone decided to merge the two. So they said, what if the trap was the board game? And um, one of my friends who's got a very deep voice just goes, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to be eaten by these amusingly hungry hippos. And it honestly made my day. So that's where it came from. That sounds... Erin, you have some mad friends. It does have a sense of the Doctor Evil about it, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I can't believe I'm in the room and all of these great moments happen and I'm just not hearing it. I'm just not part of Erin's fun conversations. Bella was also in the room. We were in your house, Sissy. Basically everyone apart from me, apparently. You you didn't go to the event we were going to, though, Alex. That's true. (laughs) Oh, was it drama ball? It was drama ball. ball. Okay, fair enough, I was actually invited to that. (laughs) You were invited, but you didn't go. It was expensive. It was expensive. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. But yeah, I found that prompt. So that prompt is a lot of fun. I have, from an anonymous source, their uh, first idea of it is the idea that um, in like Scouts, you have this game called Human Hungry Hippos, where oh, you get yes. Scouts to lie on a skateboard and just shoot forwards and just catch all of the little ball pit balls and get as many as they can in their team and then they get pulled back and so that's what a very spooky anonymous source suggested and I did not take that suggestion into account but I thank the anonymous source for the great anonymous suggestion I think I might know who that anonymous source is because I think I might have spoken to him about (laughs) real life hungry hungry hippos before (laughs) you've spoken to my dad oh no wait oh no (laughs) dad I thought it was Dan (laughs) <laughs> I've never been to Scouts. What are you guys doing there? Nothing productive. <laughs> <laughs> it's life skills. Pretty like much pretty much all of my best hippo. stories of people doing ridiculous things come from Scouts. Scouts are army cadets. It's one of the two. <laughs> scouts are just very, very bizarre, but very, very fun. This prompt then, should we move on to my story this week? Yes. I think before we move on, Izzy, you've got to explain your casting choices for this piece. I, 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 I mean, it, are we going to make a justify it now, or are we going to experience uh, what catastrophe is about to unfold, uh, and then we can get her to justify it after the crime has been committed? 
That sounds like a wonderful decision. Let's do that. <laughs> I did it cartoon genre, but I wrote it in prose just because I want to practice a technique called cinematic writing, which is something that mine and Erin's screenwriting tutor wants us to learn. So that's what I've done. And basically, my casting choices are um, I am playing the prose the the speech and i'm really getting into that character right now it's going to be really good it's going to be my best part erin is playing gerald and she's going to be the best protagonist ever i can see her getting into character now she's doing all of her vocal exercises <laughs> silently and, and then who am i everyone else is played by alex everyone else <laughs> all of the other characters he is tree number one two three and four <laughs> Um, so we will be. We're basically. This is a piece that will test Alex's acting range. We're just bullying our guest writers. That's all we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. I want a promotion after this. <laughs> a promotion to what? I don't know. You are now secondary department of prompted. Sounds good. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good title. Bung that on your CV. All right. Should we get? Should we get started then? Absolutely. Does the piece it. does the piece have a title, Izzy? Um, the piece does not have a title. No, title it now. Go, um, call it something. The piece where Alex plays all the all the people. <laughs> you named it after yourself. Yes. Good title choices. <laughs> <laughs> I am right, anything but humble. <laughs> right, Aaron, go. Bye, Dad. Gerald says over his shoulder as he runs off the jungle path. A deep voice calls from behind him. Come back here. We found some prints. Don't you want to find your first hippo? No thanks. I uh, have a thing. Gerald says, nearly tripping over a sunbathing snake. Polaroid camera in hand, he runs through the trees. Sweat seeps through his green dungarees as the sun dips behind the horizon and rises back up again. An anteater drinks coconut juice through a leafy straw. Gerald crouches to photograph it. When the picture develops, all that can be seen of the animal is a cloud of smoke and the coconut. Gerald loops the camera strap back around his neck and keeps on running. Vines hang just above his head, so he jumps to swing from them. He's feeling rather cool. That is, until he grabs a monkey's tail instead of a vine and is thrown into a lagoon. The jungle is black. A peacock pecks Gerald's face then scuttles away. The boy wakes in a snort and jumps up on the rock he lay on. Dad, did you drag me out of that lagoon? Dad? The rock stands up and is, in fact, a hippo called Harvey. Will you stop moving? I'm trying to get some sleep. <laughs> Saving you is exhausting, you know. Gerald screams! Scream, scream. Ah! <laughs> And runs behind a tree. Hey! That's my tree! <laughs> a hippo in the background says. Upon inspection of that tree, Gerald sees property of Deborah etched into the bark and says... You get your own tree! <laughs> Another chips in. Can you not share? This guy's terrified. Oh no. Gerald's father was right. The boy backs away from the animals. You can smell fear? You're shaking. Harvey points out, so Gerald straightens up. What are you doing in our lagoon? We haven't had a human here in donkey's years. I want to take pictures of you all. Why? Says Harvey. So I can show the poachers that you guys aren't doing any harm. Then they can leave you alone. Harvey yanks the camera off of Gerald's neck and calls to the hippos across the lagoon. Hey, Jemima, Clarice, David, pose. The hippos catwalk along the bank as glamorous photos fly out the top of the Polaroid. Gerald gathers up the photos from the jungle floor and stuffs them in his pocket. Harvey throws the camera back to him and lies back, exhausted. Poaching alert! Deborah screams at the top of the tree. All the hippos wail, then roll into rocks. 
Gerald runs about screaming, trying to squeeze into hiding places. He climbs up on Harvey's back and attempts to look like a smaller rock. Son, that's where you are, Gerald's dad says, throwing his spear in the ground to give Gerald a hand up. Oh, hi, Dad, Gerald says. I was trying to find the hippos for you, but alas, no hippos here. <laughs> Let's go home. Gerald's dad laughs. Oh, son, what's the first rule of poaching? His son sighs. Never give up. Exactly. Gerald's dad says, picking up his spear. They must be here somewhere. We'll find them. I promise. That was a wonderful... I could see the conks in Alex's head turning as he tried to find more accents. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it when he tried to remember... When a character returned and he tried to remember what the original accent was of that character. The conks were turning because I was like, I have to pick an accent where I can remember this and come back to it. But the problem was, was that only a lot of the accents, like the Scottish one and the Australian, they only came up once. So I was waiting (laughs) for the moment they came back and I was like, oh no, they're not going to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a beautiful performance. I think Erin was the best actress there, did the most work. (laughs) (laughs) That was was a beautiful uh, trip of a story, that was. I was picturing it like a cartoon while I was reading it, which was very cool. That's good. That's the intention, yeah. I just had fun stuffing in as many animals as I could, and I quite liked... I wanted to do... If I were to expand it, it would be... The dad obviously goes away, but the hippos are there like, excuse me, you're the poacher's son, and we just saved you, and there's conflict there, and conflict is good writing. This sounds like what would happen if Lewis Carroll got his hands on the Jungle Book. (laughs) (laughs) Crossover, is he? That's your next genre. (laughs) If Lewis Carroll got his hands on the Jungle Book, okay, I can do that next time. (laughs) We just need some jungle noises to be played over the top of it. We do. (laughs) We need to get oh, a- that was Alex's job, and he didn't <laughs> do it. Sake. I was about to do the sound effects as well. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, hey, mum, I landed a really good part in my new play. Oh, really? What part are you? I'm the jungle ambience. <laughs> <laughs> you do a good job. But speaking of good job, Erin's done a good job in her piece this week. What Thanks have you done, Erin? Um, my genre is amdram, which is amateur dramatics, um, which is essentially people putting on plays, but they're not like they're not proper trained actors. They're just people who like acting who want to give it a go. Um, because I thought the first thing that came into my mind of this prompt was overdramatic villains, so I decided to amdram it. At the start of this, you guys are actors playing characters. So uh, Izzy, you are playing a character who's pretending to be a hero. Alex, you're playing a character who is pretending to be a villain. Okay. And that'll that'll stop mm-hmm. after a few lines. Okay. Jesse and Luke are acting on a bare stage. The audience space is ep- empty except for Sunny, who is sitting in the second row, her feet propped on a chair in front of her. You don't have to do this! Don't you realise what will happen to the world if I don't? It's coming to an end. It's all coming to an end. So help stop it. You can't just end it like this. Do they care? Really? Why did they send you in alone? Do you really expect me to give up? After all the harm you've done? After all the mayhem you've caused? (laughs) You're disposable. Not useful enough to rise in their ranks and too innocent to fully comprehend what they plan to do, you'll serve as an example. Luke, still acting, runs at Jesse, and they act out a well-choreographed stage fight, at least until Luke accidentally hits Jesse in the face. I don't expect you to give up. I expect you to... Oh, I'm I'm sorry, sorry, are are you alright? Cut! Did I hurt you? It's fine. I was meant to duck when you swung from my head. That can't happen on the night. Luke, if that happens again, hit her shoulder, not her face. I don't want Jessie taking a bow of a black eye. I mean, it would suit the character, though. 
How did we do, Sonny? Sonny starts flipping through her notes. Oh, that's never a good sign. It's a lot better than last week. Why, were you worrying? I know the villains that Lily writes are often... uh, Well... Melodramatic. Right. It feels like I'm overdoing it a bit. I don't know. Do you just think it's the script or just me? Might be a bit of both. Just say your lines with conviction and it should be fine. Some of them will get lost in the choreo anyway. Have the props department got the fake blood yet? Kay said there was some kind of problem with the order. It's delayed until Wednesday. Wednesday? We won't have time to rehearse it then. Look, if it comes to it, we can just use catch-up. We had enough problems when that woman fainted in the audience last year. That's only because some idiot dropped the bag off stage and it fell on her. Regardless, I don't want it happening again this year. And, Jessie, you need to play up the innocence more. Make me believe you're actually a kid, not pushing 20. Yeah, your status needs to be lower. Oh, uh, I can hunch down a bit more. We can try it tomorrow, but I think it will look too much like grovelling. Luke, can you try and look more imposing? I know it's easier with the fake knife, but you shouldn't rely on props. Use your height to loom over her a bit more. Uh, Jessie, can I, um... Grab your arm at the you'll serve as an example bit. Sure thing. What if you grab the front of her jumper? It might dislodge my mic. Damn. Uh, No, Uh, if she used a head mic rather than a clip-on, we'd be okay. Go on, then let's try it. Luke carefully takes the front of Jesse's jumper, then balls up his hand into a fist. You'll serve as an example. Jessie throws the first punch in slow motion, giving Luke a chance to let go of the jumper and block her attack. That looks better. Jessie, you comfy with that? Yeah. Maybe if you wore, like, a loose top layer, it would give me less of a chance of hurting your neck. Sonny, can we do that? I'll put it on the list. What time is it? We have time for one last go. That means at least three more goes. Come on, it'll be worth it. You guys need another warm-up? I'm good. Just let my character get killed by Luke one more time, and then I can go home to bed. I miss acting. So do I. That's so (laughs) nostalgic. When's the next time we can sit in a rehearsal room and actually do something like that? I know. It's just it's just for sheer honesty. If I, uh, it's just like, oh, we'll do one more cut and then you can go. Yeah, no, no, one one more cut is never one more cut. <laughs> Absolutely. I love how polite they all are as well with like the how their characters are going to fight because that's what it's like. It's like in the scene they're actually punching each other, but in real life it's like, oh, can I just uh, can I just do you mind if I just put my fist in your face? So yeah. back when uh, back in school drama. Um, I used to have a drama teacher, she was called Mrs. Marchant, uh, and Mrs. Mrs. Marchant was a, a former actor, but and this was like in year nine or something, but she said to me, well, in front of the whole class, um, we're going to be learning how to do some stage fighting today, and uh, she said, Alex, you've done some acting experience before, have you ever done any stage fighting? And I said, yeah, absolutely, I've done a bit of stage fighting, and she said, oh, do you mind just doing like a, 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 a coming up here and sort of showing the class how to do something? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so Mrs. Marchant's standing in front of me, and she's like a short Welsh woman. She's quite stocky. And she's like, I'm going to swing a punch at you, and you're going to just like dodge out of the way, but we're gonna do it we're gonna do it like where it slightly hits you, but in a light way so it doesn't hurt you, but it still makes kind of like a smack. And she she goes to do it and she completely loses her balance as she's throwing the punch forward, and she just accidentally throws her entire weight behind it and just clocks me straight <laughs> in the side of the face, right in front of the whole class. And uh, But here's the thing, they were all impressed, because they're like, wow, that was really authentic. That looked like it really hurt, and I was there like, oh! <laughs> your teacher just punched you. She, she did accidentally just completely swing a, swing a right hook at me, yeah. Are you sure you weren't just her least favourite student? She genuinely <laughs> quite liked me, but I, who knows, maybe she was just having a bad day. She's been planning it. <laughs> yeah. I love the the kind of, like, sort of bond you get when you're doing theatre, though. Like, just everyone's very chill and focused. I was thinking of, um, I did some work in the tech department of a theatre at one point, 
and the whole the whole theatre was empty except for the Amdram group who were doing a rehearsal kind of on the stage and like some tech and like a receptionist and that was it. And I was walking through the building that was empty and these two actors, um, they both had Victorian dresses on, so very long. And they were trying to put a mic pack on. And if you've done Amdram, you'll probably know about this, but the mic pack has to go on like your waist. So they had shorts under their dresses and they were trying to attach a mic pack to them. So like they were covered, but they were hoiking up their skirts in a corridor trying to fit a pack on. So it wasn't a very dignified position that they were in. And I walked past them and they went, oh, like, we're so sorry. We, we should have done this in like the toilets. We didn't mean to embarrass you. And I just went, like, no, it's, it's fine. I'm a theatre student. And they went, oh, perfect. And just kept going. <laughs> We, we're um uh, where I live in Guildford. We have a like a local pantomime every Christmas, and the, 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 the same actor. Um, he's a he's a music performer. He's called Kit Hesketh of Harvey. Um, but he, he he plays the villain every single year. Um, and I do remember one day. I think it was um when he was playing the Rat King in Dick Whittington, and you just uh, after the performance where he's he's an amazing villain he, he's so much fun to watch in the pantomime but you come out the back of the theatre and he's always there in like full villain costume just having a cigarette <laughs> and you're just like oh you know really well played it's just like yeah yeah all right. it's just like oh but the, the, the rat kings just you know standing on the little side balcony at the back of the theatre having a cigarette and it's just it's such a weird disconnect there that's so sweet I love like local pantos and stuff oh, local pantomimes are brilliant yeah we all just need to do a play as soon as we get back to uni, really. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really nice. But yeah, this was a really good scene just because it was all completely true. It was very it's wholesome and how sensible. Andrew works. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Izzy, that was a perfect segue. Use it, use it. Speaking of sensible. Oh. <laughs> oh. Right, so I have not read Alex's piece yet. and <laughs> Oh, I'm you're in for such scared. a treat. Such a treat, Izzy, I promise. I mean, the other day he just dropped the piece onto our prompted this episode chat. And it's just called A Very Sensible Prompted Story by Alex Healy. And no title has ever terrified me more. (laughs) (sighs) Shall we get into it then? You want this deadpan, Alex, yes? Uh, So you're the narrator, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. F- think about like you're doing like a nice countryside documentary. Okay. <laughs> I also need to stop laughing before I do this. Okay. Oh, Sharon, so unprofessional. Shut up, Izzy. <laughs> 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 All right. The small, peaceful town of Ludlow, England, has a population of just over ten thousand. Situated near the Welsh border, the tank. The town contains over 500 heritage-listed buildings and is famous for its large farmer's market. However, this quaint environment was all soon to be shattered the day that Winstable G. Clattenhoe opened the Clattenhoe Sensible Game Shop on the town high street. Good morning. I saw the sign on your front door and you said you were open today. Yes, good morning. A very pleasantly sensible greeting, is it not? Well, um, yes, I suppose it is. I'm Susan. Nice to meet you. And I was just wondering if you had a game of Monopoly for sale. I beg your pardon? I must have misheard. Did I hear you say Monopoly? Yes, for my son's birthday. This is a games shop, right? I'm sorry, madam. But if you are going to continue standing here, sucking in the very sensible air of this brand new establishment, then I must insist that you are of sane enough mind to actually, correctly read the sign. It says, this is the Clattenhoe Sensible Game Shop. Oh, I see. So you are not of such a frankly apish mentality that you can actually comprehend English words? I'm sorry, I don't understand what's going on. I suspect it as such. Walking in here with your silly Velcro shoes and your silly green anorak, not even dignified enough to choose a proper colour, like grey or burgundy red. Sensible colours for proper people. But Monopoly is a sensible game! A sensible game? A sensible game?! 
Are you so dim-witted as to believe that an iron and a battleship bumbling around a cardboard square in a clockwise manner is an accurate representation of high-level property management? Do you think that a game which simplifies the complex legal loopholes surrounding luxury taxation until it represents just one pathetic square on a board can accurately be described as a sensible game? I bet you're one of those frankly moronic subhumans who believes that you can escape legitimate legal prosecution with a simple card you found in a community chest pile, aren't you? No! No! Of course not! I just wanted it for my son! We quite enjoy it as a family! Well, before I come over there and forcefully remove you from this very serious shop, I'm going to give you one more chance to suggest something actually sensible. Well, uh, okay. How about a game of chess? That's sensible, isn't it? And to think I granted you mercy for your first injustice. Only for you to vomit out of your silly lips the foul word of chess. How can you actually live with your silly existence, thinking that chess deserves to live alongside actual sensible games? Have you ever seen a horse careen violently to the left or right every time it moves forward? Have you ever seen a very, one of the very sensible bishops of the papal institutions swear an oath to diagonality, only for them to meander around the cathedral's corridors, bashing into the side walls? Have you ever seen a fortified turret hurtle forward at a frankly ludicrous speed to crush a nation's queen under its immense weight? No, I thought not, because it's all extremely silly, that's why, and I will not be having any of it under my proud... Fine, sensible shop. Okay, look, look, I am sorry. I just thought you would sell some normal board games in here. I wanted to buy a box of Monopoly for my son and maybe Hungry Hungry Hippos if you had that too. <sighs> Who sent you? What? It was Dunstable, wasn't it? Dunstable Voigtkloff Argington Vandermeer, my arch-nemesis and owner of the Argington Vandermeer Silly Toy Emporium in Woking. <laughs> Only he would be brazen enough to send somebody here inquiring about hungry, hungry hippos, as if a quartet of Technicolor herbivores chomping through inane plastic pellets was in any way an artistic representation of nature's constant struggles over sustenance and territory. I am not going to allow you to besmirch the integrity of my new shop and get away with this. At this moment, Winstable reached into his burgundy red anorak and produced a very sensible looking knife. Large enough to be intimidating, but not so large that it might get mistaken for being comically oversized. Winston began making clean, evenly spaced steps towards Susan and, fearing for her life, she gripped the side of the nearest shelf and toppled it over with all her strength. A box of the Settlers of Catan, Cities and Knights expansion pack, fell from the top row and struck Winstable in the head, killing him instantly. After a lengthy police investigation, Susan was able to use the Get Out of Jail free card from her son's new Fortnite edition of Monopoly to escape any further prosecution for Winstable's death. <laughs> <laughs> sort of Monty Python strange, strange text. It's from the, lost, it's from the long lost archives of John Cleese. <laughs> oh, just, that was awesome. You just left me speechless, Alex. I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's, um, it's very beautifully crafted. <laughs> I'm, I like the rule of three. I like... <laughs> I liked playing Susan. She was very confused, as was I, and so it's quite an easy character to play. Um, and I'm very scared by Winstable. Uh, he will absolutely be making a return. Oh, uh, is he ever going to meet his arch-nemesis? Uh, uh, maybe in a future-prompted story, who knows? Is, is the arch-nemesis <laughs> as incredibly sarcastic as he is? Potent what are you talking about? Winston's very serious. Of course he is. I'm sorry. Please don't kill me, Winston. 
<laughs> Please don't kill me, Winstable. <laughs> uh, at some point in the future, I will do a story of Winstable G. Clatton Howe versus Dunstable Voitcloth Arkington Vandermeer. See, Alex, you write a lot of horror. I do. And yet I think your most terrifying character <laughs> is just Winstable. <laughs> These, you have no idea. I mean, what all he's of going your other characters do. are scary. Yeah, exactly. But your other characters are very scary and very well written. But Winstable, I would not cross him. <laughs> uh, well, I think I still have one more episode to write for this series, so who knows? Ooh. Yeah, we can see a return. Back, so, from, back from the dead. <laughs> How did he get back from the dead, though? He's Winstable. He can do what he wants. Of course, he can. Mm-hmm. Within the confinements of sensibility. Of course, yeah. It will uh, have to be a very sensible resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we now have our Q and A's, which so we yeah. So these are the Q and A's that we started working through them last week. Basically, um, lots of our listeners and followers have sent us in loads of questions about Prompted and about our writing. And um, Bella obviously isn't here, so we won't be able to answer all of the questions, but Alex can answer ones where where it works as well. Uh, did you want to fill the questions, Alex? I can do, yes. I mean, a lot of them will also apply to Alex, so yeah, that'll work quite well. Do. Okay, am I including the uh, am I including the Twitter tags as well? Uh, yeah, oh, the Instagram tags. Oh, the Instagram Gosh, tags. Sorry, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so quest- the questions. Uh, so at Nahal writes uh, asks, uh, how did the three of you meet? So, Do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah. So me and Erin met at Warwick's Improvised Theatre Society and I think we somehow ended up destined to be friends because we're at the same society which is quite a small society and we're also on this well we also both do English so we shared some seminars some lectures and so we basically met through there and then we started doing lots of revision together and then Obviously, I found out that Erin is a very good writer. And so it was very easy to, when I came up with a show, to invite her on the show. Erin, how did you meet me? <laughs> how did I meet you? It, I can't remember the first time I met you, but it was at Improv. Mm. Um, the first time I met Bella was actually our first episode. So if you think that me and Bella are slightly quiet in the first episode, we had literally never met each other <laughs> until about <laughs> 10 minutes before we started recording. Nice. I just shipped them as friends. I was like, these two will get on well together. So, boom, shoved together. When did Izzy? When did you meet Alex? Was it in on your course? I met Alex. This is nice. I met Alex in my. So I was, I basically it was first year, and I missed my first creative writing seminar, and so. Um, because I think I didn't couldn't quite work out the timetables or something, so I missed the first one. And then I came to the second one, and I was really, really stressed, because I was obviously behind, and it was I was like, how on earth did I miss my first ever university seminar? And so Alex was like, don't worry, Izzy, like, we'll just, I'll just go through it with you. And he gave me his notes and talked me through it. Did I? I forget that. <laughs> yeah, Alex! <you> did. <laughs> Quality <laughs> moment in your relationship. Yeah, <laughs> no, I probably did. <laughs> no, so that's fair. how I, I met. I, I do remember that. I I always knew Izzy as the girl who you know um you, you'd you'd get through a seminar and and just when you think you'd and Izzy would be really insightful. With, with like five minutes left to go, it in would come Izzy, and it was a uh, it was just like oh I, 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 Izzy's here. <laughs> <laughs> I should have seminars five minutes before the end of them. That was perhaps an exaggeration. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, we, we all do English. Erin, um, mm. I mean, I've, I've met you 
through English before, but I'd say the first time we yeah. like properly properly met was pantomime. Yeah, I. Mm. So I there was that prompted episode which got lost because of a technical error, which Wait, was, was is that, now just. Was that before you joined Panto? I think I joined Panto. I didn't know your name for a while, so I just knew you as the guy who played Triton in the Little Mermaid pantomime yeah, until you came on prompted, and then Izzy was like, "Oh, Alex is up," and I was like, "Who's Alex?" Oh, oh that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right, are we ready for a next question? Wait, no, I haven't said how I've met Bella yet. Oh, that's true. I met I met Bella in my kitchen because we lived together in first year and it was the very, very first day of uni. And I was, I, I think I was a little bit nervous meeting all my flatmates. So I was just sitting in my room getting ready. And then I came out into the kitchen and there was Bella. And I think she and the rest of my flatmates were playing cards. And so I sat down and we played a very silent game of cards before then going to the freshers club night and just sort of silently trying to break the ice and failing until the next day. So I lived with Bella. So that's how I know her. And I don't live her anymore. So prompt is, is like a nice way to still see her all the time, as well as Panto and the fact that she's always around my house anyway. See, I think I first properly met Bella coming over to your flat before oh I see uh, for suckling yeah I think so I think that was the first time I, I ever prop- like, properly met Bella again she's in English so but yeah yeah everyone's all around yeah indeed right uh, at WAMPT asks what do the three of what genre do the three of you prefer, and also what editing methods do each of you use? Okay, so genres. I prefer writing scripts or screenplays, and in terms of specific genres, I really like writing fantasy. That's that I really like doing that and working within that sort of genre, and I also I've done a lot of adaptations recently so I kind of like taking some old text and pulling out different elements that I like and adapting it so that's what I'm working on a lot at the moment what about you guys? Erin? Um, as you guys definitely know my favourite genre is sci-fi and you know this because I'm usually Whoa. wearing a Star Trek t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, just any kind of sci-fi especially if it's a crew of people doing stuff all people with superpowers, they are usually my favourites. What about you, Alex? Uh, I I like writing horror and comedy, as sort of the two things that I go for. Whenever I write horror, I, I sort of, I think I've spoken to you about this before, Erin. I always tend to have like a very specific type of horror, which I, I sort of dub as like techno horror. Because everything I write about is usually like weird radio frequencies and like cursed television shows and like machinery that doesn't work how it's supposed to and kind of creating horror through that i'm not a big fan of like zombies or vampires when you sort of sort of like the conventional stuff i like if it's got sort of a techie aspect to it like like was it steampunk horror but that i i guess so. Suit your aesthetic? Ste- steampunk is kind of like well, steam, but I kind of associate steampunk with being like big airships and like cool cannons and gears and stuff. I would say no, this is more like horror to do with the internet, horror to do with radio frequencies, television, sort of 20th century, 21st century. How can we interpret horror in the, with the things that we use around us, with the technology that we feel safe using, but what if it went wrong? <laughs> horrible, horrible things, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, uh, and the, se- cool. the, the, the second part of that question, which is, what editing methods do each of you use? Editing takes a lot longer now than it did in the studio. Yeah, that's a fun one. Okay, so usually when we do editing, we we all record our voices separately. We all put them in a document. We have to sync them together, and then we. You're right, Alex. I, f- I think I think they might be talking about what writing editing methods do we use. Oh, <laughs> let's go to that then. Good. Um, all right. Just just to finish up with recording editing, we go through and we cut out things like uh, people saying um 
people saying words we're not allowed to use in a PG-13 setting. Yes. Evan, stop <laughs> looking at me. There was one okay, set word in my, my pantser the other week, and I didn't realise I wrote it, and I didn't realise I said it. And I was very confused as to why Erin was surprised that I'd done that panto. And then when I was editing it, I realised and had to do a major seamless edit. To be fair, Izzy, it is usually Bella. (laughs) 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 But yes, um, editing for writing, what do you guys do? I'm always a dialogue perfectionist. So I'm always the sort of person that, and whenever you're doing dialogue, just read it aloud and try and try and read it like the person. And that's the easiest way of finding flaws. You're like, oh, a norm- it's like, does it this sound like something a person would actually mm. say? Or does it have any like weird, because sometimes when you're writing, it doesn't flow like it normally would when you're actually talking. So that would be my big editing tip is to read everything out loud, see if it flows, especially for doing scripts. I, when I'm writing, purely a trick that I picked up and prompted is I edit as I go along. So if, so if it's a prompted piece, I will edit as I go along because, especially now when it's turn three, I don't, as much as I'd love to, I don't really have time to go back and read over it and make sure that everything fits. So I've kind of gotten used to getting it right enough first try. Um, today's piece was written in half an hour because I have a very very big essay and so yeah so that's how that goes but then if it is a bigger piece and it's for a course or to put on it's for my course it's for to put on a play or something like that I'll definitely properly go over it I think my biggest thing that I struggle with is structure so I go around and reorder things copy and paste is my best friend in editing and I just make sure that everything flows how it should and that I'm releasing the information at the right time and things are being said when they should be said. I do a lot of the thing where the more I edit something, the more I hate it. So um, (laughs) I had to write a big script for a screenwriting module, which me and Izzy both do. And um, it's now just got to the point where I hate the piece that I've written so much that does i just happen. test it i i often find that you know the more you work on something whether it's a novel or even like a short story that you're drafting over and over again you find that you don't enjoy it because the more you edit it the more it mm. feels like work rather than a passion project but you just have to remind yourself that other people are going to enjoy this probably hopefully um <laughs> And so, and, the and, marker will. and your your secondary enjoyment, like you, you will enjoy a piece when you first write it, you will hate it when you've been through six, seven drafts of it, and people keep coming back to you and saying, "Oh, this is spelt wrong," or "This doesn't work," or "This contradicts something you said before." But then your secondary enjoyment, the secondary wave of enjoyment, will come when you finally send it out to someone, whether it's a group, whether it's a performance troupe, something like that, and you see it performed and you see how much pe- other people are enjoying it. That's where you get your. Mm. That's where editing pays off. I remember when um, a good example of this is um, me and Erin and a few people were involved in a play, and it was about adapting this book about a refugee's life and adapting it for theatre. And so we wrote the story, we all split split up the story and wrote our little parts of it. And then we all edited each other's work. And then the professor um, of Italian studies went through and um, edited it and and gave us little edits and feedbacks. And we just kept going over it and over it and over it until it was one coherent, perfect text. And we were thinking, this is a good play, but it's kind of niche. So, and we haven't, personally been able to advertise it that much because we've been working on the editing so much so we didn't expect that many people to come to the audience and then when we actually so so we were just going around the corner and we went into the room that we were performing in because we had to we were the actors of the text as well and that's when we saw a room that was so big a room full of people so many people that there weren't enough chairs for them to sit down and people actually instead of going home stood up against the back of the humanity studio which is a huge studio and we were just i think that was honestly the best day of my life i was so happy that was so problematic because 
for one of my parts, I had to run down the centre of the audience, run back <laughs> around the stage, run through a curtain to get to a computer to play a sound effect. And of course, there were loads of people, so I had to like run off stage really dramatically because I died. Like, buried through <laughs> loads of people still in costume. Go in a curtain past the guy who was recording, apologise to him because I nearly nicked, knocked his camera over and then get to the computer. It was horrid. <laughs> Oh, the things we do for art. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, uh, from at kdog97, that's a good username, uh, other than writing <laughs> more, what has helped you improve your skills as writers? This one's really interesting. For me, it would have been acting, because I did a lot of acting before I ever started mm. doing writing, and I think it's a good way of getting into, especially theatrical writing, knowing what it's like from the other end, knowing that what sort of things actors respond to, what kind of lines work well um, and can be translated well into directions. The other thing that's helped my writing is YouTube. Um, just <laughs> absorbing loads of different YouTube content, be it like fact fact videos, political videos, because you start picking up mm. all these like stories and prompts, if we're going to throw the title of the show in here, um, uh, that you can, you can work with. Oh, acting was going to be my one. Uh, but it's okay, I have another one. It still one. can be. Um, <laughs> so yeah a- acting and improv is really helpful um but the most helpful thing is actually english so when i started doing so my course is english and creative writing and when i st- when i was choosing courses i was thinking oh do i really need the english bit is that really going to help me and i think my english modules are just as helpful as my creative writing modules because you encounter so many texts and you have to really pick apart what is working about this text like why are we still looking at this hundreds of years old text now and then you can pick apart things that you can steal even if it's just you steal particular lines of characters and that can really shape your writing and if you learn to really respond well to text then again it's about being on the other side of it as you learn what readers respond to and then you can write that what about you Erin? I'm gonna I'm gonna combine your acting answers with um, writing for actors. So I've done a few different projects now where I've written things for my friends to perform, um, like short films and podcasts. For example, I wrote a short film where one of the characters was meant to be secretly evil, and I gave he had a very dramatic reveal in the script. And when I gave it to the actor, he interpreted the character as being much more sympathetic and played him as much more likable. So the script and the film came out as very, very different products, but I was still really, really happy with both of them. So writing for other people and seeing how they differently interpret your writing is sometimes a very cool experiment to do. Okay, very nice. Uh, At Sean KRB asks, what are your favourite places to write? This is a simple one for me. At home where I have tea. (laughs) Tea and internet. Do you have tea right now? Yes. (laughs) Just to confirm, he does have tea. I do. Well, not anymore. Um, it's all drunk, me, but I did. All drunk. For me, it is the garden. Anywhere outside, and I'm a million times more inspired. And if I can't really get outside, I'll go on a walk first and then sit down and write. What about you, I can write pretty much anywhere. I once wrote a chapter of a book while sitting in a tree. That was really cool. Um, it wasn't high <laughs> off the ground, but it was nice. Very artsy. You're such a protagonist, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> I was going on a hike! Uh, at Wilkie underscore DS, oh, I wonder who that guy is, uh, <laughs> asks, uh, when you write a story, how much time do you spend world building compared to writing? Uh, for me, lots. I need to have a world pretty much fully planned out. And not just for world fully planned out. I need to have all the character arcs and plots planned out before I start. I need to know where everything is going and what the rules are, what the boundaries are, because the last thing I want to do is A, create a bad ending, or B, contradict myself halfway through. I am the opposite sometimes. It depends on what I'm writing. If it's like a big fantasy thing, then of course I have to sit down and properly world build. If it is a prompted thing or something where I'm a little bit more rushed for time, I tend to go straight into it and just make a note every time I introduce a new thing in my notebook. So that then I hopefully won't contradict myself and then I can build up the world as I go and sort of trust myself to come up with that and make it complex and elaborate as I go along. 
What about you, Erin? I tend to write really rough scenes to know about the characters and to build their world and then plan and then write mm. proper drafts, mm. which takes so much time. Um, that is the only I, I way totally I can do it. That. Sometimes I will start with a short story and I'm go, oh, I could expand this. And then you start the planning phase. Yeah. Okay, that is all the questions that we had this week. We will get on to more at some point in a future episode. Uh, would one of you like to announce next week's prompt? Go for it, Erin. Okay, um, why am I a rabbit? Why? Interesting. Why am I a rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> and why are you guys rabbits? This could get very existential. <laughs> is it a physical rabbit? A metaphorical rabbit? <laughs> Spiritual rabbit? Maybe. Ooh. I'm excited for this one, because I was the one who heard this prompt, so I know all the context. <laughs> and I can be smug with that. Thank you to the prompt provider, which is Aaron's friends, and apparently I was in the room, so I probably know these people. You do. <laughs> Thank you for the prompt. And thanks to all of our writers this week. It was very We're, very we're just thanking ourselves this time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have to thank our guest for coming on, and we have to like thank Alex. Aaron for doing a good job, and I was pretty great too. Um, you were great, Izzy. So, yeah. Uh, and thank you so much to you guys for listening. For more prompts and writing, go to our Instagram, which is Prompted Writing Podcast. If you want writing advice or want to share your responses to one of our prompts, just DM us. You can find us on Anchor FM, which just routes us to Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And thanks to everyone who sent in Q&As. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. Goodbye. Bye. Now, Alex, you have to do an outro. I have to do an outro. Hello, everyone. Erin here. There were a few funny moments in this episode that I thought you might enjoy, so I've made them into a little mini blooper reel for you. The first is us trying to count down from 10 to sync our mics up at the beginning of the show. And the second is an unedited version of me trying and failing to read Alex's piece. I hope you enjoy. 10, 9, 8, 6, 7, 4, 3, 3 2, two, two, two one. 1. Izzy, what was that? Was that one You counted the <laughs> wrong way! <laughs> You counted, you counted 10, 9, 6, 7. <laughs> that was going to you, Izzy. It's going to you. You're gone. And that's recorded now, so you can go check. Fell from the top row and struck Winstable in the head, killing him instantly. After a lengthy plea, Izzy, no, you put me off. <laughs> Sorry. It's brilliant. <laughs> we can cut this out Alex don't worry finish the story <laughs> after a lengthy police investigation